Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. Well, this is a third Advent message, uh, this time at Christmas, and uh, I've really been looking and studying and looking into things, and, uh, and it's affecting me in lots of different ways and uh, in different things I say. Of course, you guys know I've, I've uh, often been accused of a little bit of goofiness, so I said to somebody this week, they asked me how I was doing when I walked in a building, and I said, oh, just living in the promise. And he went, oh, of his return? I went, no, I'm living in the promise. He already, he did what he said. We're living in the, and they were like, what are you talking about? I went, hmm, I'm speaking some other type of language, so, uh. I'm glad you guys get it, and you bear up with me well, and I believe that you like this language too. So we're going to talk about the promise this morning, and Christ being the promise, and the promise of God. In unwrapping the Christmas narrative, for me, it's been like that again this year, just going through the pages and rereading different aspects of the story, and some parts I'm teaching about, and... uh, Mostly, it's, uh, it's just stunning. That's the only way to put it. Uh, the, the gift of God himself coming, it's, uh, who, you know, you just go, no one could have thought up this kind of story. Not just the fact that it's good, but the, the idea of what it, what it has and the promise that it is. And that in God coming as a gift, he was keeping a promise, and, you know, I know it's trite, but it's a promise that keeps giving, and it even gives more promises to our lives, and uh, as I looked at it this time, I looked at it from, and I'd, I'd been in the vehicle, instead of listening to Christmas music, I was listening to John Mark McMillan again, and about future past, when you look at the promise of what Jesus did in coming as a child, we look at it now very strangely because we look at what what was, how it was. We look at what is, and we look at what will be. All, all, all three, we get to just enter into God's view of all this and his idea about his promise. Now, promise is interesting. It's the anticipation of getting something, isn't it? If somebody promises you something, I promise I'm going to call you, then you have an anticipation that that's going to happen. Much different than how we say, in, you know, I'll speak Californian ease this time. You know, let's do lunch. As though lunch is something more than eating. And it never happens, and that person never calls you. It's just a way of saying in American, yeah, I'll see you later. Um, We don't really mean anything by it. But God doesn't speak that way. When God speaks, like we looked a couple weeks ago, it's creative. It's moving. What he says isn't, we sang that song. What uh, We live in what he says. So question. 
in anticipating Christmas. Can you imagine Christmas without gifts? In America, we're, you know, we talk about, well, we're, we're poor this year. We're only going to give each other one or two gifts. Um, we don't have quite a much. And, and I, I can't think about I, even growing up poor, uh, we had a gift, usually more than one. I can't imagine Christmas without a gift. So I got to thinking about this, and I'm going to read part of this because I, I, I don't want to miss anything out of it. But I started thinking about uh, a well-known story. It's not so much about Christmas as it is life and, and God and everything. But I started thinking about uh, the story that C.S. Lewis wrote in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and where it begins. You know, four children finding themselves in a fantasy world that Lewis calls Narnia. How many of you have read it? I think almost everybody, it, you know, you're not really a good Christian in America if you haven't read The Lion, the Witch, and the Warner. No, that's not true. But just think about it, a land encased in a frigid landscape that has endured hundreds of winters without a spring thaw. I'm not a winter fan. Some of you know that about me, that I'm, you know, I'm just fine if it rains. It doesn't have to snow. I'm not, let it snow, let it snow, no. That land is ruled by a wicked and cruel witch whose spell on the land has enslaved not only the people, but the climate. The climate becomes a reflection of her own heart. The very land, eh? the people become a reflection. Uh, They're hard, cold, and hopeless to her own cruel nature of how she sees things. The worst part of being that in that land, it's always winter and never Christmas. It's a hard, cruel, bitter landscape. But there are a few creatures that remember a promise. There's a few, just in the story. Go back with me there. Remember the story very clearly. There's a handful who dare to believe in a promise. With that promise, Father Christmas, remember the story, Father Christmas will come and he will herald a bigger promise and an even better gift. A lion's going to come and roar and he's going to restore not only Narnia, but their each of their own individual lives. The lion brings gifts and the land's restored and the king of summer will rule. Uh, one of my favorite, I, I have a Irish worship leader that I like, and he has a song called The King of Summer that I can only listen to it once or twice because it just does that stuff inside of you. Much happens after the winter ends, and there are many lives and many adventures till the close of the tale, isn't there? You read all nine of the stories, and is it seven or nine? Nine, I think. Seven? Seven. Seven, nine, okay. So, why is a simple fantasy child's tale so impacting? Why did, how could a, a story, a fantasy, 
You know, if you can, if you can imagine, if you know anything about Lewis's life and who he hung out with, sitting around with a bunch of other stuffy professors, and he's writing a kid's tale, you know, drinking a wee pint and, and uh, smoking a pipe and he and Tolkien looking at each other in the pub and the other professors who were linguists, uh, who were theologians. Um, a couple of them were practicing atheists, listening to him tell this story. How could it be that impacting? They thought it was a waste of time. Well, that story has given more hope and, and so much in the telling of it, actually restored lives and God's used in a very profound way, all about a promise of winter ending and Christmas coming and a lion who's behind it all. Thinking about the analogy caused me to look again on God's promises. First promise to us and how many of God's promises not are going to be, were fulfilled in Jesus. So I went back to the first promise. It's found here in, in Genesis 3. And uh, it's, it's God himself addressing the serpent. Now, so this is after the, the Adam and Eve eat the fruit of the, you know, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and uh, I think it's interesting that God wasn't around, supposedly, when it happened, but had that all three of the, of the prime characters that are there, the serpent, Adam, and Eve, and he speaks to each one of them, and he makes a promise right there in speaking to the enemy of human souls. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. You know what he was saying there? This is God. Looks at, looks at the serpent, starts speaking and addressing the serpent, but what Adam and Eve hear is, Merry Christmas! That's the promise. They must have been shocked. He could have said so many other things. God is a creator. Can you imagine? I mean, did the story literally happen? Yes. Exactly as we know it and see it. Yes. And symbolically. And more. What? How did it lay out? I don't know, but when I look at that and I look at the artistry of God creating an incredible world, a landscape of perfect beauty, that's how Eden's described, an artist, God, unmatchable in his display of beauty with the crown of his creation being Adam and Eve, made in God, his own image, stunning, and he gets it no more than complete when sin wriggles its way across the most beautiful painting ever made and cruelly slashes from one corner to the other a big rip apart across the canvas. And black, ooey-gooey, yucky stuff starts flowing out of that rip. 
think God would rage, wouldn't you? See that happen to what he created, anger standing before his ruined creation, designed to destroy it. What would you do? Must be retribution, right? Must be, God must have been so angry he just wanted to whole thing in his hand and squish it like a bug. Instead of destruction, God makes a promise. He says, Merry Christmas. He promises that a child born to human parents will rescue them. What? He looks across the centuries and sees his son, Jesus, birthed in a stable. growing up in a winter land that has no hope, no promise, no childlike heart can sing. And he agrees right there in that promise to pay the ultimate price for that slash across the canvas of his creation. He'll give his own life and he'll give back to them the life that was stolen that they let it be stolen. They were complicit. From the time of Genesis until the birth and life of Christ, listen, regarding this promise, there were in the birth and life of Jesus, some say 355, what can be agreed on, over 300 promises were fulfilled that we know of. That's just the ones that we know of. I agree with the ones that say 355. There's a couple but that are stretched. But uh, they're prophetic declarations. They're promises that were filled. And it's little stuff. It's like minute details of his ancestry, who his lineage was, names of people, his birthplace. This is stunning. His birth date, when he would come, the times, the seasons, his infancy, what he would be like, his manhood, his teachings, his character traits, his career, his preaching, his reception, his rejection, his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Through 20 different writers, all speaking a promise of one ultimate gift, behold the Lamb of God. Stunning, who takes away the sins of the world. A promise in a person. What do you say to those things? That God keeps his promises. God, hear this this morning, no matter where you're at in your life, joyous Christmas, hard Christmas, whatever, maybe it's winter right now for you, and not Christmas, and Christmas feels far away, God keeps his promise. How do we know that? Because God kept his promise. What does that mean for my future? God will keep his promise to you and to I. We get to live in Christmas. Instead of it being winter all the time, 
actually for us, it's Christmas all the time. It's here. That's what I meant when I said to that person, I'm living in the promise. Christmas came. Uh, years ago, Brenda was involved in a production in which one of the lines of the song was, Christmas isn't Christmas till it's Christmas in your heart. Well, guess where Christmas is? Right here. There's, there's no better Advent message than to reveal your heart to others that the promise lives in you. Wow, stunning. The gift of all gifts. And the biggest one, and look, this, is, it, this wasn't about God's anger. This wasn't about justice. This wasn't about anything. But there is something that's very important. And whether you believe, how you believe the construct of this, um, what you believe was God's motivation. I'm not here to talk about that this morning. I think everything he did was motivated out of his love. And that whether you believe in penal substitution or anything, just set all that off to the side for a minute. Christ died for your sin. The promise came to release the slash out of your life of the painting that's called you. That whether you did it or somebody else did it, that slash that went through that canvas and disrupted your life, he sent his son for that. I don't ever want that. I don't care what the theological arguments. You're not taking that from me. That is my gift that he gave me. Nobody can take that from me. Whatever you believe about what the motivation was in God's heart that there had to be divine ritual, I don't care. I have the fact of what he did for me. And he promises. This is one of those promises that were fulfilled, and I want us to hear it again this morning. Because I want you to know something. You're free from sin. That's Christmas. Merry Christmas! Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is so long before he was born. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. When we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. 
He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. say Merry Christmas it was a gift most incredible gift <laughs> that could not just heal a ripped canvas could start and make the canvas brand new again <laughs> and the promise just keeps painting the, the artist he, he's a promise that's alive and he keeps painting the fabric of your being came to pass. His appearance and fulfillment of God's promise, I don't know if we'll ever fully understand it. Not in the sense of why and how, and we could argue about it. We can argue theologically, just like I said, of what this eternal plan of salvation was and how it was enacted, God's intent, his reasons. I want to go back to Narnia. All I know is I just need to be a simple child and know that there's a lion named Aslan Jesus, and he righted a wrong. He loved me, and Christmas came. And the death I deserved was swallowed up in the promise. And if that promise, the most difficult of all promises were fulfilled, it, this is such an interesting thing. This is what Hebrews 2 talks about for our lives. We see everything, if I believe that promise, subject unto Jesus. Everything's under his feet. And then it says a really weird thing, not yet. We get tastes of Narnia in winter. And we get tastes of summer. But I know this. If he fulfilled, if he could go to the minute detail of life and fulfill all those little things... There's nothing standing in the way of him, not even me, of what he wants to do in my life, what he wants to do in your life, what he will do in your life. He, if he promised, that's why, look, we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and it says something, this is the most when he made the promise and fulfilled it, he started to set a promise into motion that would always be fulfilled. So this is what 2 Corinthians 1 says. And all the promises of God stunning. So I found that a lot of times in my prayer time I tell him why you shouldn't keep the promise. What? What is wrong with me? No, 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 no. You promised. You promised my heart would live free. So I will live free. Oh, what a true confession. You promised that my path would get brighter and brighter. Therefore, my path. You promised that my life would be blessed. Therefore, my life is living in a promise. 
That's what I meant when I was talking to the other person. I'm living. You know, he didn't know what I had studied. He probably thought I was goofy. I'm living in a promise. Hey, look behind me. The lion's with me. <laughs> you know, it was love that wished Adam and Eve a Merry Christmas. It was love that spoke the promise 355 times, over 300 times. It was love that birthed Jesus in a stable. It was love that propelled him to a cross. It was love that raised him from the dead. And it was love that kept a promise that saved the world. You look at 1 John 4. And this, the love of God, was manifested, and take us out of there this morning. You put your own name in there. In this, the love of God was manifested toward that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for the slash across the canvas of our life. I sin. Every time we celebrate Christmas, we're celebrating the promise of God as a Savior. The real Christmas spirit is living in the promise. It happened. He did it. Nobody can take it from you. As a matter of fact, I read stuff, right? You can't give it away. You can't say, I don't want this anymore. Oh, the lion will come after you. Yeah, you know, all that Christianity, like, oh, I'm not so sure anymore. You think he won't come after his own? Yes, he will. It's the promise. Nothing going to stop that promise. It's impossible. There's not. If, if he could send through the promise and cut off, think about this, what it said in Isaiah, if he could cut off the power of sin around and through and in your life, what can he not do? That was the one thing that the enemy was convinced that could destroy it all. He went, not so. I see beginning to end. I had a feeling you might do that. And I had a plan before the enemy had a plan. His name is Jesus. Merry Christmas. You can just hang on to it. You can wrap yourself. You can open the gift over and over and over again. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry, Merry Christmas. No wonder we want to celebrate this thing every year. Of all the other stuff, not just the stuff of what he can do or what he can make with your life and all that, he removed that slash. It doesn't have any more sting to it. Ding dong, the witch is dead. Wicked witch, bad old witch. Ding dong, the wicked witch is dead. And the lion. 
I, I know it's a, just that impossible image. Don't you want to just go up? Don't you wish you could do what the, those four kids did? You will. That's the promise. But just, like, grab, grab him by the mane. Hang on. They got to ride on his back. Jump on his back. I don't ever want to get so grumpy old that I can't be childlike enough to do that again. That's what Christmas is. It's for you and I to be kids in our hearts again. Four estranged, lonely English kids who find their way through a wardrobe, a book, is actually what that was symbolic of, if you're wondering what he was writing about. They found their way through a book into a land that changed their lives and could remove and he's done this for you could remove the winter of your sin <laughs> and bring joy to the world how can we not sing look how many Christmas carols there are how can we not do this it's been accomplished for us and if he did that, every other promise. If he did that, some of you really need to hear this this morning. If he did that, how will he not keep the promise over your children? If he did that, how will he not keep his promise over your grandchildren? If he did that, how will you not go to heaven? And see the ones who believed in the promise before. This story just keeps getting better and better and better. Because that's the promise. That's what it's made for. Why don't you team come on back up here. God does not have one I don't, I don't know how you get so God doesn't have one T cell that does not believe in you he knows what he did we're held together by a thing called T cells have a shape of a cross that's how our cells are held together is by another cell that's called a T cell He did it. I'm his. He's mine. Celebrate Christmas. Winter's over. Spring has come. Santa's come here. He laughs with richness. Father, Christmas is among us. He restores our hearts. He restores your heart. There's nothing else that's too big that's in the way. This morning, I want you to minister yourself, so I want you to put your hand on your heart. Father, for my heart, Christ came. Father, for my wandering heart, Christ came. Father, for my angry heart, 
He said, Jesus, Father, for my disappointments over promises unkept, you said, Jesus. So I ask that the pathways, the Eden of my heart, let summer in. That the thaw would come. The winter of my sin is done away. My heart will rejoice in the promise. This heart, this day, will rejoice in the promise of who I am in Christ and who Christ is in me. Why, I'm his promise. I forgot. He not only gave me a promise, Lord, I forgot in my heart, I'm his, I'm your promise now. Wonderful. Counselor. Prince of Peace. Mighty God. Everlasting Father in this heart. And now I'm your promise for Christmas. Oh, blessed be the name of my God. In my heart, my ears, my eyes, my nose, my hands. I celebrate Christmas in Jesus' name. Would you stand?